Rock the Bottom Podcast with Andrea and Martin begins now. And I happen to be heavily flawed and I know that about myself. But now when I go to bed at night, I'm like, I freaking worked my ass off today to do something nice for somebody else. Welcome back to another compelling episode of Rock the Bottom Podcast, (laughs) where we just had the total pleasure and honor of interviewing the host of Judging Megan Podcast, Megan Judge, and she was as vulnerable as one can get. Um, There are topics around suicidal ideation and abuse and trauma and loss so if, if this might possibly be a triggering episode for you, we obviously want you to take care of yourself first. She really opened up and got down to the bare bones in this episode. And there was so much to extract from it and learn from and just um, be inspired by ultimately. And she's such a cool uh, podcaster. And, and she really, her story really is one, you know, like she got really vulnerable about what friendships mean and and even as an as a grown woman that having a sense of attachment to friendship groups and having lost that 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 could shake her at her core and then to see her funnel all that she learned into serving people through her podcast I mean she's yeah she's just a really down-to-earth and a really cool woman and I'm so glad that we got to sit down with her so let's let's get into it let's do it Megan Judge, thank you so much for joining us here at Rock the Bottom. Hi, Martin. Hi, Andrea. I'm honored to be on your show. I'm a huge fan of Martin. I just met Andrea. You had me at hello. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, Megan, I want you to paint the the scene, if you will, of what things were like in your life before you ultimately hit rock bottom. Well, here's the thing. I have a pretty heavy past of things I went through as a child. And, um, and for my, for purposes of time, I mean, I can go into my whole past, but really I hit rock bottom probably, I would say like three years ago, I was a mom. I had like kind of had a really rocky, that hard past. I went through a lot of loss, a lot of death and, and abuse and an eating disorder and like, you name it, I probably went through it. And I kind of pushed down all this stuff for a really long time. I was able to hide it. I think I'm pretty funny. So I hide behind like the mask of making people laugh. I've always, since I was a kid, been a prankster, loved making people laugh because I think I'm funnier probably than they do, but I just enjoy laughing. I I went through all the like stages of what we're told or what we think we need to do as women, got married, had my first baby, kind of went through some fertility stuff with my second because I'm like, oh, I always wanted to be a mom, right? That was my dream. Then I ended up in this very, I live in a very pretty area by the beach in Los Angeles, outside Los Angeles, you know, have a husband, we're happily married, had my two kids, was in this like friend group of women. If you can be cool and popular in your forties, I was in the cool mom group, which is embarrassing to say, because nobody's cool, but I, you know, we were like the cool moms, if you can say that. 
And I started to notice that the one of the people that I thought was my closest friend really pulled a number on me. And this group I was in, they were not very nice to each other. They would all talk behind each other's backs. I found myself doing that as well. It was really kind of like trying to fit in. You know, I spent my whole life trying to fit in, looking a certain way, acting a certain way, because I didn't want people to know who I really was. And um, long story short, this person really broke my heart and like planned this whole trip and didn't invite me and invited a lot of people that I thought were my friends and left me out. So for probably somebody that didn't have the history that I do, they would have been like, oh, well, you weren't invited on a vacation and this person was mean. Don't like she's done a series of mean things to you. Don't be friends with her anymore. But for me, what it did was it triggered my long history of abandonment issues. And what that led into was me not understanding how I could have been such a good friend because PS I'm freaking good friend and be treated so badly, but it's the whole way that women work in groups of friends. It's not necessarily healthy. I'm going to be doing an episode on this actually later today, but I couldn't deal. I couldn't deal with the fact that I wasn't like in the in crowd and people were talking about me and I wasn't cool anymore. And all of a sudden people started taking sides and it got so bad that one day I tell this story that I was sitting on the beach. My favorite place in the world is the beach. And I was looking out at the ocean and I was watching my two girls swimming in the water, splashing and playing. And, and I was like, I'm done. done. I don't want to be here anymore. That is the worst feeling because I had been dealing with suicidal ideations like leading up to that. But it was like literally that moment was like, I can't, I'm done. I don't want to be here. I'm done. To answer your question, it was like me learning that I really needed to get myself back into therapy and get help. And I was in therapy at the time, but just take back my life, take back control. And I hope that answers your question in not a tremendously long-winded way. No, it was it, it wasn't long-winded <laughs> at all. And so, and again, share share what you're what you're comfortable with. You said that this triggered some abandonment issues that stem from childhood. I know you said you had gone through through some abuse and some abandonment and and things like that, some trauma. Without expounding on on every aspect, because we certainly don't want to re-trigger, re-traumatize anything. But can you, can you kind of connect the dots as to where that, that initially started? Yeah. And you, and, and you can ask me anything. So basically when I was two, my sister had come back, she had a rare liver disease and my mom went to get her out of her crib and she was, she died in her sleep. And so my mom was in complete shock. My sister was nine months. I was like less than two at the time I was sitting in my high chair. My mom came down screaming at the top of her lungs in shock. I was left in a high chair for hours. The paramedics came in. I witnessed the whole thing. So that was the very first time, like they say that your brain your brain doesn't fully develop until you it for, I thought it was 25 now in recent studies are saying 27, but the first three years of a human being's life, if they go through trauma, it really, you never can get rid of it. And so that was the first thing that happened. And then my dad was uh, diagnosed with leukemia when I was 12 
and he passed away nine months later. And then I lost my very best friend extremely tragically. She went in to have her first baby and the anesthesiologist did not connect the tubes and the strep virus got into the tube when she was getting her epidural. It's a, it, this does not happen, by the way, I like to reiterate this. It's very rare. Basically, the strep virus got into her spinal cord and her brain swelled and she was dead two days later. I had to fly across country. Say, I had to say goodbye and then they took her off life support. It's a lot of that, a lot of that kind of stuff. And then you know, my mom remarried an extremely abusive, mentally abusive alcoholic. And it was just a lot, like a lot of more things than most people go through, but less things than most people go through, if that makes sense. But for me, too much. Absolutely. And, and I, I appreciate you sharing those very heavy times as you I mean, this this is like compounded grief, right? It starts started when you were just a, a child, a young child. And then it happened again several years later. And so I'm wondering, as you were kind of finding your way in, in into childhood, was your mom aware of how you were feeling and how you were dealing with this grief? Was there any support around that as you became a teenager or were you kind of left to your own, you know, devices to kind of figure it out? I think what, what happened was I've always been very, I'm very right-brained. I I have, I've been diagnosed with ADD. That's a shocker. Um, I've always been artistic. I came out with a stage name at age two, Joanna. Um, I've always been a singer. I've always been an actress. I've always like hidden behind my characters and all this stuff. And I think my mom and dad were concerned about me, but I'm one of my, my mom ended up getting pregnant shortly after my sister Mora passed. And so then it was kind of like all the attention was on my brother looking back, like, or thinking about it, my poor mom, you know, like she had lost a nine month. I can't even imagine I'm a mom. I can't imagine what my mom went through. So the support was there to an extent, but you have to remember I'm a child of the eighties. It wasn't like it is now. My parents at one point did put me into like a group therapy when I was 10 because I was having these reoccurring dreams that I picked my sister up out of her crib and killed her, flushed her down the toilet, which is so upsetting to think about. So they put, they did put me in therapy for a short period of time. I was also going through like mean girl, fourth to sixth grade bullying, that kind of stuff as a kid. Yeah, I mean, they did what they could with the resources they had at the time. So much uh, death, like so much experience with like grief and, and loss. And then we're flashing forward to your rock bottom and you're sitting on the beach and you're and you're thinking about ending it. And I'm grateful that now we live in a climate where we can talk openly about suicidal ideation. We can talk about mm-hmm. suicide. We can talk about death. We can talk about those things in a way that's not sort of like, you know, something to be shamed around. I am wondering, you're experiencing all of these deaths and then the suicidal ideation. I'm wondering if you had a sense of what your concept of death even was. Having like how? Well, no, not necessarily how you were going to end things, yeah. but more just just that to, to be choosing to want to do that after having had, you know, attachment and abandonment pieces from all of these loved ones having, you know, leaving um, unexpectedly from your life, mm-hmm. what your greater concept of death was that, that you would want to 
to do that? I think at the time I was in agony. I was, if that's a word to use, I was in such agony. I couldn't, I felt like these mean girls, I mean, they're mean moms and they were so, they were so awful to me that I couldn't even like go to Target without people that I were my friends at one point turning the other direction. For me, that like triggered something. I, I thrive off of being accepted. I thrive off of being in groups. I'm just one of those people that has always felt protected being with people, you know, if that makes sense. And I, and I found myself in such agony that I just was like, well, if I'm not here, maybe they'll realize how much they hurt me and they'll learn from it. And in my own head, I thought, I'll be with my dad and I'll be with Maura and I'll be with Julie. And they're all waiting still to this day, get emotional talking about it. So I just, in my head was like, I just wanted to be at peace because I was tired of battling. Yeah. It's the eternal tap out, right? Like when we get to that space of being so overwhelmed and and it's a great word for it, that the idea that what we're feeling inside is so intense that the only remedy would be to yeah. stop the feeling altogether permanently. Yes, hundred percent. Yes, it's also it's. I also want to point out that that suicidal ideation can be very comforting as well. Like I, I know that we we talk about it that it we obviously want to get support, uh, but there is something that's serving in being able to fantasize about suicide. I would suspect that people think about it without being suicidal, like that it's not suicidal ideation, but we all have had a thought about what would it be like if I wasn't here anymore? And it sounds like there was a piece there too of like, okay, in this, in this permanence, these other people over here would see how much they had hurt me. And there's, there's that disconnect between, but I wouldn't be here to see them see how much they hurt me. Right. So it becomes this kind of like swirling thing inside of our minds where it's a, an expression of, oh, this is too much. I'm feeling too much inside. I need it to stop. This is the way I would stop it. But also I want things to change with, in your case, with the situation and the, I wouldn't call them a friend group, a frenemy group um, yeah. anymore. So I, I think that's really interesting because it can be such a, com- it's such a complex place to be in your, in your head. So I'm wondering, yeah. you're sitting there on the beach, you're thinking about this really permanent solution. What switched for you that you didn't follow through on that? Okay. So for what you said, I think is true. Like in, but in my case, the suicidal ideations took place every night and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So for me, it was very, very scary. I didn't want to be thinking the way that I did. I was like in a, in like this period where I would wake up every night at like two in the morning and I would think about how I was going to end my life. And I was like, okay, stop thinking this way. I was being tortured with it. The day on the beach was, I had already been having those thoughts for a long period of time. Like I would say like maybe six months of my life on top of like massive panic attacks where I thought my, I was dying. Like I would wake up and I couldn't catch my breath. It was, I describe it as like a refrigerator shutting down, like old school refrigerators. Remember they go like boom, 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 boom. And then they come back on. That's what my body was doing that day on the beach. I think it was like, okay, I'm ready. Like this is it. And then I think what happened was I got, I like, remember coming home and taking a shower and just, I kind of was like, I'm not going out this way. I just, I'm not doing, I'm like, I have a responsibility to my husband and I have a responsibility to my kids. And 
then like the part of me was that knows what it's like to grow up without a parent really kicked in and was, I'm going to take my life back. I'm going to share my story. That's really how my, I started my podcast. I'm, I'm not letting them take over my life. I'm not letting whatever this is ruin my life anymore. I'm taking my life back. And then I called a friend of mine who's a podcaster. I don't really know what a podcast is, but I think I'm supposed to do one. (laughs) It's, and I'm very spiritual by the way. So I think my spirituality also really got me out of this in a way. So I, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. And listening to that, and it's, uh, some people may see it as ironic, mm-hmm. but then some people may see it as totally apropos that you would, so you have this, this insatiable need to connect with other people, but in that you were also at their mercy to be accepted by them, right? So you were totally giving them all of your power, right? Yeah. And, and then, so they, they hurt you in the worst possible way, but then you find your strength and your healing through, again, connecting with other people through the podcast, right? You're, you're, you're lending yourself, your most vulnerable self to people. And this time, not just a little, a group of five or six people, but to the world, right? Yeah. And totally, you know, opening yourself up for scrutiny and ridicule and, and trolling and all this stuff. So it, I think some people will find that ironic, but it makes sense because you've always been someone who has kind of thrived, you know, in the spotlight. And like you said, you were, you know, you were always, you know, humorous and, and, and that's a, that's a naturally attractive trait to a lot of people. People gravitate to people who are humorous and funny and lighthearted and, and, you know, easy, you know, easy natured. And so I think, I think that's, I like that you stay true to who you are in the sense that you do well with other people, right? And 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 having, you know, having that energy flow back and forth, you giving of yourself and people reciprocating and not allowing the fact that that these people that you had, you know, trusted and you had seen as as friends and they're supposed to have your back and to have betrayed you that that didn't cause you to then uh, uh hunker down in your room by yourself and cut the whole world off, right? You would not allow them to take that part from you and so i just i just think it's incredible that you that you channel that energy into something that was not just going to help you which is which would have been fantastic but that you are now using and have used for the last few years to help so many people because you were i mean your podcast is you know well i'll let you tell how successful it is but just just talk about the beginning of that journey. I know you're modest and you don't want to, you know, kind of, you know, big yourself up, but I'm going to kind of put you on the spot and have you do that because it's important that people, that people see when you follow your heart and especially when you're coming through your healing process and you feel this, this, this strong desire to channel this energy in a positive way that it will be, it will be successful because you're doing it for the right reasons. And so just talk about the beginning stages. Like you said, you didn't know what a podcast was or how you go about it. So what did that look like for you? Okay. So one thing I do want to say is I still have my really hard times. So I, and I'm very open about that. Very open. I found myself kind of in a really bad place like a month ago, a couple of weeks ago. And I made sure that I'm like back in therapy. I I have this little person or I don't know what it is that's putting myself down. And, you know, there's one side of me that's like, I'm funny. I'm great. I'm this. I'm that. And then there's this other person that's always like, well, 
10 people like you and 10 people told you that there's something great about you, but that one person that hates you, they hate you, Megan, they hate you. And then I go down this thing where I've spent, uh, I'm in my forties, years and years listening to that voice. And it comes back often to answer your question. So I, I was in therapy at the time with my therapist, Dr. Nadine Macaluso. She is, she was married to the uh, Jordan Balfour, who is the Wolf of Wall Street. So there's a movie based on her, like Margot Robbie portrays Nadine in the movie. They call her Naomi in the movie. She's a New Yorker. And I, you know, and I've been in and out of therapy throughout my life. When I met her, we just clicked, you know, and she was like, Megan, you've been creative your whole life. Like, you know, she's got like the whole accent. She's like, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to let them win? Like she's that kind of person. She was really in my ear. So it wasn't just me one day, like being like, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. It was me having, being in therapy and learning, like I am creative. How am I going to use my creativity? What do I want to do with my life? Well, I want to be like my dad because my dad lived his life helping other people. And I say at the end of every episode, be happy by making other people happy, which is what you do, Martin. And what I, I just met you today, Andrea, but I, what you do as well. And that's what has saved my life. The podcast really became this small thing where in the beginning I was like, okay, well, everyone's going to make fun of me because I'm starting this podcast. Who do I think I am? Blah, blah, blah. I had like little trolls that were like ex-friends, friends following my Instagram. I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning. I was like, okay, well, 20 people are listening. Yay. This is great. Who are these 20 people? And I like to say this, if you're a podcaster, it's really, really hard. It's a very weird thing. Cause it's kind of like you're in outer space and nobody tells you how to do anything. I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars I've been taken advantage of. I've had, I almost had to take somebody to court. Like it's, there's been things I've gone through on this journey, believe me. But I like to say, if, if you have 20 people, if you had 20 people in a room and they were listening to you speak, how cool is that? 20 people in a room are listening to you speak. And then it kind of like, just took off like where I kind of was at the point where, and it's true. And I'm going to cuss for a second. I just don't give a rat's ass or a shit what anybody thinks of me anymore. So out of that, like horrible, horrible experience that I wouldn't wish, well, I would maybe wish on a few people. Um, and I'm still working on my anger PS out of that became this thing that was in me where I just don't give a shit when anybody thinks of me. And I spent my entire life worrying, what do people think of me? What am I wearing today? Did I, I've gained weight. What are they going to think of me? They don't like me because I've gained weight. That's why this happened. Or I don't have the right bag. They think this is ugly. They don't think I'm funny. And that's the best. That was the best gift that I can ever tell anybody that I got out of doing this. And then it just kind of like has grown. That's, that's the story behind it. I love, love that about the podcast, but love what you said about just, you know, not giving a shit about what people think, because I, I feel like that's something maybe not as eloquently said as you put it, but with, you know, past guests. And I, I certainly think for, for Martin and myself, that that is one of the, the beautiful products of, 
of rock bottom. That when you, mm-hmm. you know, I say this a little bit, but when you are stripped of everything that you think you know about who you are in a rock bottom, and then what is revealed is, you know, your authentic self, that authentic self is unapologetic in, you know, in that way of like, well, this is who I am and I'm presenting myself to the world. And so that's that, right? That there's no more of that kind of like shifting and trying to please and people, you know, trying to adjust yourself so that you fit, taking up less room, taking up more room. You know what I mean? And you put it so eloquently. I mean, like, I don't give a shit. I am ready to be authentically myself, put out the messaging and the vulnerability of who I am. And some people, 20 people in, a, in in this particular outer space room are listening. Awesome. It's compounded now because of that authenticity, I would suspect, right? Because people come back, real, real seeks real. So that part in us, even if we ourselves are not in that authentic space, within us, that real exists, right? Rock bottom just strips the rest of it away so that that can emerge. So for people that haven't kind of hit that space, they're still coming for you because there's that part inside them that is reflecting in the words that you're sharing in your own authenticity. And I just love that. Like the world needs so much more of that because that's what's waking us all up. A hundred percent. And I think that COVID and all the things compounded into, you know, like when I started the podcast, I was in a room by myself and trapped in COVID going through this like horrible period of my life where I didn't want to live. And you know, just like telling stories in the beginning, like all of my episodes are about somebody going through something really hard and coming out the other side. That's usually what the majority of them are about. And then I've met people through this. So it's really like a selfish, selfish adventure. Like Martin and I have become friends. So like, you know, like I'm like, well, my guests like me. So I guess I'm not that bad. I can't really explain it, but it's, it's really it's always difficult. Some days I don't want to do it. I'm like, oh, I'm not in the mood to like talk to somebody or whatever it is. And you're lonely. And then you go back into the world and then, you know, I'm in carpool getting glared at. So it's like a, it's a tricky thing really, but I am grateful that to do what I'm doing and have this platform. Well, and you have had some really compelling guests on your show. And I think the reason why Part of the reason why your your podcast, which is 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 it's all about you know struggles and hardship, but it's also about like people being extremely vulnerable through their mental health woes and really breaking that stigma around mental health. And it's, it's sad that in 2022 we still have to talk about it being stigmatized, but we have come a long way in that respect. Well, I will certainly admit that. But I think it's it's people like you, Megan, who humanize this this struggle right because even though you've had all these great successes and still experience those today you still also very much still grapple with the the difficulty of mental disorders or mental illness or however you want to you know classify it and so i think people need to people need to understand that and when they and when they hear your episodes with you and how honest you are about what you deal with and your guests and what they have gone through and what they deal with then they're able to identify with with that and they know that they're not alone in that space oftentimes people will isolate because they feel that nobody will understand what they're going through and they're the only ones that's thinking that way or going through that and they listen to your show judging Megan podcast 
which is everywhere on Thanks, Apple Sean. and Thanks Spotify. And absolutely, because I know you weren't going to do it. But it, it is a highly successful podcast. It was rated in the in the top 1% amongst over 2 million podcasts worldwide. So just, you know, sit with that. You have you have also gotten endorsements from from mental health organizations, right? Who who sponsor you because they see the reach that you have with the audience that you that you captivate in in, in your episodes. And that is an awesome thing because again, you're reaching a, a massive audience and people are feeling connected to other people who have gone through their struggle. Like that's what we want. We don't want people sitting in isolation feeling that nobody's going to understand what they're going through. And so I just I just want to, you know, highlight that and the success of your podcast and your vulnerability and doing it every episode. And I know you're going to do one after you you record with us. You know, it's just it's just an incredible thing to see. And it happened over what, the last two and a half, three years? I started in October of 2020. So I'm going, what is that even? I thought it was three years because I've lost track of time, but I'm almost at my two year mark. Which is Thank absolutely you. outstanding. And you you po recently posted um, a very huge uh, milestone with that. Uh, Numbers-wise, what did you hit just a little while ago? Oh, okay. So in the past year, I've had like 175, 76,000 downloads. And that was in a year, like I, it just grew, you know? So I like to say that to podcasters that feel if they reach out to me, sometimes I have them reach out to me and ask me, cause it's hard. It's a hard, it's a difficult thing because you're spilling your guts. And there were times in the beginning where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. People are following me. It's those bullies. They got their friend to follow me. They're making fun of me. I would go up to like a hundred downloads and I was like, oh my gosh, I have a hundred people that are listening. And then other countries, people started listening. Like I am honored to do what I do and like reach the people that I do. I wish they would reach out to me more because I'm somebody that loves to talk to people um, and be like, answer my questions. They don't always, it's a very lonely existing existence being a podcaster because you're like it's weird it's almost like somebody's listening to your phone call but you don't know who they are and then you look at the numbers and the downloads in like other places and you're like they're listening to my phone call but they won't tell me who they are it's so strange but anyways thank you martin for that nice little endorsement i really appreciate it in terms of the podcast success Mm -hmm. that's awesome external validation. And we, as humans all thrive on the, you know, knowing that we're yeah. appreciated or that we're seen yeah. and that we're heard. So with that success to the side, what personally, like, have you found in your own evolution from being in a space where you're, where you're speaking so honestly and so truthfully, and that you are being of service to others? Megan 2.0, like who, who is she? Like, what has this brought into your life aside from, Yay, feeling like people want to hear you, but just mm -hmm. for you in in the you know in that personal kind of space of just you and yourself, are you more comfortable sitting with yourself now because you've been putting yourself out there so much? Yeah, I'm still a work in progress. We all are. Like I talked about a few minutes ago, I had a really difficult kind of breakdown again. Not breakdown, but just I started having like a hard time again and I was like, okay, because it doesn't matter how much success you have or how many followers you have on Instagram or how many people are downloading my podcast or listening. 
like I said, it's kind of a lonely thing. They're just like people, but you don't know who the people are. So it's not like I have this like village of people that are with me all the time because they're all over the world. Megan 2.0, I wouldn't say I'm Megan 2.0. I would say I'm Megan like 1.5. Um, <laughs> I, the one thing I will tell you that I'm more grateful for than anything else is when I was in that front group of friends or a few years ago, I was like kind of phony baloney. I was not always the nicest because I was really hiding behind the unhappiness of myself. So I like to say to especially being a mother to daughters is like bullies, bully, bullies have been bullied. So they're turning that around to protect themselves. And I didn't like myself. I hated myself. I hated my insides. So I worked so hard on what I look like physically to cover the mean, the mean thing, like mean things I would think or say, or at night I would put my, my head on my pillow. And I knew I had been at a dinner with those ex-friends and they would, we would be like, oh my God, did you see what so-and-so did and her husband and blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't the person I am today. You know, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I still talk crap about people. Sometimes there's still things like I'm, we're not perfect. Nobody is. We're human beings. We're all flawed. And I happen to be heavily flawed. And I know that about myself. But now when I go to bed at night, I'm like, I freaking worked my ass off today to do something nice for somebody else. And that's all I care about. And that's what we all should strive to do. Because if we all strive to do that, we wouldn't be in like the ginormous hell tar pits that our country and our world is going through right now. You just spent one minute of your day, five minutes, somebody walks by and you go, you know what? I really like your outfit today. You look really pretty. It's as easy as that. It's as easy as that. And it makes me emotional because literally everything makes me emotional. I love that. I think it's it's critical, you know, what you highlighted there, Megan, that even though there are things that happen in your life today and that happen around us that are beyond our control, that 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 cause us to get down or cause us, you know, to be frustrated or 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 to, you know, to be sad. But you you also are quick to remind yourself of the positive, productive things that also happen throughout the day. Because I think it's it's easy for us to kind of fixate sometimes. Like you said, 10 people tell you how awesome you are. One person says they don't like your outfit or, or whatever, and you will fixate on that one negative comment. You don't allow that to happen today. You it, It's a balanced approach, right? Yeah, you acknowledge that some things are not great and you, you work to make them better. But there's also these things that you can point to that you're grateful for throughout the day. And I think it's important that we we try to make a concerted effort to do that because we don't that's not always a natural thing for people. Right. I read a book. It's called The Pursuit of Happiness, not based on a Will Smith movie. It's a psychological book. But they were saying that for those who live for others acceptance, they will die by by their rejection. And what it's saying is if if you're so consumed with other people accepting you that all it takes is that one person to reject you and it will kill you. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're setting yourself up for that to happen because you're never going to appease every single person that you encounter. There's always going to be that one. And so I think it's important what you said to be able to yeah, acknowledge things that are not going well in your life. You want to make improvements, but don't discount 
the things that you that, that, that are there for you to be grateful for. With this whole thing, Megan, we, we do this with every guest, and we want you to talk to the person who is struggling in the midst of a rock bottom right now, in the midst of that storm. There's no way they can see the beautiful rainbow on the other side of that storm. We know it's there, right? We, we, we've encountered it ourselves, but they can't see how that is going to happen. What would you tell them just to help them to, to have that ounce of hope, if you will, uh, to keep going? I, I say this to myself or, and I had somebody, I guess, like one of my very first guests that I had on, his name is Lucky. And he, and it was in the very beginning. And I, I went, he, I went on his YouTube and like, you know, we were messaging back and forth and I was still in like the throes of hell. And he said to me, your piece of the puzzle matters. Your piece of the puzzle matters. And every time I start to think, you know, I go down that rabbit hole of like, they hate me. They're talking about me. They're making fun of me. They're not, they're not my friends anymore. What did I do? Because a lot of it, it stems from that, but it really is not about them. Like I could care less. I don't want to be their friend anymore, but it's still the little girl inside of me that really wants to be accepted and like make everybody laugh and be the queen bee, you know, and I just wasn't. And I learned that and it doesn't matter. I don't want to be the queen bee. I just want to be a bee in the hive doing my job, you know? So I, I would say to somebody that was at rock bottom, really listen and really think about why you're on this planet. Like, what is your purpose? And, and your piece of the puzzle matters. You wouldn't be here. You know, your little like sperm and egg would not have met and you would not be here right now. So like, live a purpose-driven life. Change. If you're hitting rock bottom, you look at yourself in the mirror and you go out and you figure out a way to just say something like go to the fast food restaurant if you don't have money or you, you're struggling financially and go get like a, whatever it is and buy like the meal that you're going to eat and look at that person that gave you, sold you the meal in the eye and say, thank you, you matter. And then pass it on. And so I say like little things to myself, like, well, today you're lucky because you have this, this, and this. So if that matter, if that means like doing a list, if that matter, if that means just like doing one thing that will help you want to get out of bed in the morning and start your day by saying like, you matter, your piece of the puzzle matters. I don't know. I find that that helps me. I like that awareness of pulling yourself back so that you can see where you, you are. It's sort of like the word stardust in a meat suit, right? And remembering mm -hmm. that, that we are something splendid and that we're not here by, you know, on accident. We're here because there was whatever your belief system is, but that there mm -hmm. was some sort of, you know, intervention of sorts that brought you here. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to look. And, and you've made it so accessible in terms of like the, the small things that you can do, the small gestures that you can do to actually live that awareness by giving to others and connecting with others. That's really cool. We are so grateful to have had you and have you share your story with us. And uh, hopefully our listeners will, if they haven't already, I'm sure that they're maybe here listening to you here because they listened to your podcast already. But for the listeners that haven't checked it out, uh, we'll link it in our description below. We're very excited to have had you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Rock the Bottom Podcast. 
If you liked what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, or share.